We've been in for several weeks now, if you've been joining us, a series where we are talking about generosity. But the way that we've tried to frame this series and talk about generosity as a church is first and foremost to focus on God's generosity and to highlight the generosity that God has shown us and the different ways that he's done that. You can open in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll look at a couple of different passages in Ephesians this morning as we talk about our generosity and how we are motivated from God's generosity. But we've tried to explain it several times, I think, especially if you listen to um, a midweek podcast that we pastors uh, normally have where we do a sermon recap. We talk about the sermon from that past Sunday, and I know that we definitely talked about it this past week, but one of the things we've, like I said, tried to make sure that we highlight in this series is God's generosity towards us and how everything that we do is rooted in that. Uh, not just his generosity towards us in Christ, that's obviously the, the, the highlight, the culmination of his, his generosity, but we've even talked about how God is generous in giving us good gifts that are more worldly in nature, like good food or the family that he's placed you in or the country where you've had the opportunity to grow up. Uh, the fact that he gives us things in life to enjoy. We looked at the Garden of Eden and how God bestowed upon humanity all these good gifts, everything they would ever need. We've also seen our response to God's generosity, the response that Adam and Eve had to the generosity of God in the Garden when they turned their nose up to that generosity, when they rejected that generosity, when they actually accused God of not being generous of keeping something away from them. And so they went after the one thing that they were told to not do, the one thing that they wanted so they could be like God. And because of that, they were cursed. They were sent out of the garden. But even in the midst of that curse, we see God's generosity to promise a savior that would one day come. And it is in Christ that we see the culmination of God's generosity towards us. The fact that God would take creatures who he's created, who he has bestowed nothing but blessing upon these people, and to have them just turn it away and send it away for him to continue to be generous towards them. That's what we've seen. That's what we've seen in this series so far. And so last week, Pastor Tim led us through Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. I'm going to read it for us just to remind ourselves about the blessings there that we have in Christ. He says in Ephesians 1, verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, 
things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What a wonderful passage. When you read through that, and he says, oh, and by the way, oh, and by the way, oh, there's one more thing. You also get this. Every spiritual blessing he has given us in Christ. Pastor Tim led us last week to highlight just a few of those that we have been given the forgiveness of our sins. We have been given the freedom from our sins to pursue righteousness, to grow in holiness. We've been given adoption as sons and daughters of God, that we are not just servants in his court. We're not just people that get to be around. We actually get to become the sons and daughters of God, to have a, privilege, a place of privilege in his family. And what comes with that is that we have been given an internal inheritance with God. He has blessed us and we will be with him for eternity. God has given us so much. He has lavished his generosity upon us. And we, we were trying to highlight that through the beginning of this series. But at some point in this series, what we are able to see and what the turn that we make is to see that God's generosity has an effect on us. It gives us all of these things, yes, but it also changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way we see the world around us. When we come to a realization of God's generosity towards us in Christ, that then does something to us. It creates something in our hearts. It, it creates in us a heart that itself desires to be generous because we've been made new into the image of Christ. Our old dead heart is gone. A new heart is here, a living, beating heart that beats after our Father, that wants to live as he has shown us. It's because Christ is in us. You could say that the generosity of God is contagious. When you see it, when you experience it, when you know that you've been given, all you really want to do is to give in return. You've probably seen this in your own life, I would guess, that the most generous people in the world, they don't really tend to be the people who actually have the most stuff or the most money, but the most generous people in the world are the people who realize what they've been given. They realize that what they have, no matter how hard they've worked, no matter what they've done to, to get that for themselves, they realize that it is a gift that was given to them, that God has provided everything that they have. And those people that, that think like that, that are able to see that, that we're able to see that everything that we have is a gift from God, those tend to be the most generous people in the world willing to give of themselves, willing to continue to be agents of generosity, you might say, to the world around them. Christians, most of all, should be able to see that. As we've been going through, I just read through Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, talking about how we've received every spiritual blessing in Christ. If there's anyone in this world who should be generous, who should realize what we've been given, and then in turn showing generosity towards others, it should be Christians. 
because we've received that great generosity from God. What greater gift has anyone ever received than what we have received from our loving Heavenly Father who has cared for us? There's, there's no one else. When we see the generosity we've been shown in Christ, we don't have to drum up motivation. We don't have to guilt ourselves into doing the right thing, to doing what we know we should do, and then putting reminders uh, in our lives to tell us, well, you really should be doing this. You know, you kind of have to do this now. No, you don't have to, you don't have to guilt somebody into being generous who has already been the recipient of God's generosity because we're filled with thankfulness and gratitude for how much we've been given. For that person, when there is a chance to give of themselves, it is not a chore to be done, but it's rather an opportunity to be had, one that is looked forward to, one that is enjoyed, and one that we enter into happily. And it's because it's this opportunity not to prove ourselves, it's the opportunity not to prove our worthiness, but rather it is an opportunity to live as those who have generously been made worthy. We have this opportunity, and that's what we look at it as. That word worthy is an interesting word. When you think of it, you think of what it means to be worthy of something. We generally think of that word to mean that we have earned something. We've made ourselves worthy of this. Or if you've been given a gift and you're told, now you need to be worthy of this, that's almost like a kind of a repayment type thing. We think of worthiness in that way. But it's interesting, if we go through, if we continue through Ephesians, I told you there's a number of different places that we'll look here this morning. As we continue to go through Ephesians, we eventually come to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Through the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul just continues to expound the grace of God that we have in Christ. Through chapter 1 into chapter 2, we have the well-known passage, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, where he just hammers into us that this is a gift that you have been given by God. It is not of your own doing. It is not of works. It is a gift so that no one may boast, so that God might be glorified in that. And we continue to see that teased out through chapter 3 until finally we come to chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul makes a shift. And he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. To walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, hang on a second. If we continue to think of that word, worthy, in the way that we normally would think of what it means to be worthy of something, to have earned something, to have achieved something, this doesn't make any sense. Because Paul just spent the first three chapters of this book making a big point to us. You're not worthy. It's been given to you as a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn God's generosity towards you in Christ. He's done it freely. There's nothing that you've done for it. But here, now we're to be worthy of this calling with which we've been called. How does that make sense to us? It doesn't. It makes it sound like a child. Maybe this has happened to you, parents. It makes it sound like a child that's come to you and said, if, uh, if you get me some ice cream, I'll do these chores over here. 
Yeah, you, you, you get something, but you try, to, you try to pay it back with something that you're going to do or a, a kind of a loan repayment almost. That's what it sounds like. But that's not what Paul's saying. Actually, one of our Sunday school classes right now is uh, they're going through a book uh, by a guy named Sinclair Ferguson uh, called Worthy. Um, they're going through this book, and that, that book is really built upon uh, pat, uh, pat, this passage and others like it that happen actually fairly often in Paul's writings, in his letters in the New Testament, where he gives us the truths of what has happened to us, what we've been given in Christ, and then the result that that brings about in our life and what that looks like for us and how it changes us. He has a very helpful understanding of helping us see what this word worthy, how, how are we to understand this? Because we know, because of what Paul said, it cannot mean earn. It cannot mean that you work to get this, that you make yourself worthy of God's salvation so that he's not ashamed that on the day when you walk through the pearly gates, he's like, oh, man, you didn't really do a very good job as a Christian. You didn't show yourself that you were worthy of that salvation that I gave you. That's not what that means. He said in, his, in that book that they're going through that worthy can also be translated as in keeping with, keeping in step with. You could even say that it's balanced, the idea of balancing something, like there's a scale with a weight that's over here, and whatever you put on the other side is in balance with. It's in keeping with what the right weight is. He says it very clearly. I'll read you this quote from this book. He says, this is the picture the word worthy conveys. On the one hand, here is the gospel. And on the other hand, here is your life. And Paul's exhortation is this. Live in such a way that your life weighs the same as the gospel. Live in a way that is in keeping with the gospel, that matches the gospel. That is what the balanced Christian life looks like. The gospel is the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, and our lives are to be the embodiment of that good news. Ferguson, I like how he calls it, this is the balanced Christian life. It makes sense. Someone who has received God's generosity, it then makes sense that that life would be a life that is marked by God's generosity. That that generosity we've received now then flows out of us to the world around us. That it's not a chore to show someone what we ourselves have freely been given. That's what he calls us. It's not a burden. It's not a rule to keep. It's rather a joy to get to participate in what God is doing in other people's lives. We're not motivated by a need to earn something. We're motivated by the gratitude of what we've been given. And for the Christian, this isn't just a joy because we get to exhibit the very thing that we've been given. It's because we understand that as Christians, this is how God works in the world around us. This is how God actually continues to show his generosity to the world. He shows his generosity to the world through you. He shows it through me, working through us. At the end of Ephesians chapter 1, Pastor Tim mentioned this in his sermon. We eventually get to chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, where it says, And he, God, and he put all things under his feet. It's Jesus' feet. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. Now listen to this. The fullness of him who fills all in all. 
Jesus has been given authority over all things. He's been given to the church as the head of the church, as the authority of the church. We get to experience now what it is to be the body of Christ, which is the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. That has a lot of different applications, a lot of different things that that means for us. But part of what it means is that when, when you are doing something, when you are living, when you are working, when you're just going about your everyday life, when you have the opportunity to show generosity to someone, what that means is that as a believer whom Jesus dwells inside of and whom we dwell inside of him being in Christ, a word that comes up over and over and over again in Ephesians, what that means is that Jesus is working through you to other people. You've heard the phrase before probably that you get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. You've heard that before. That's what that is. Jesus working through you. Jesus acting through you. And so when it's the generosity that we've been talking about in this series, it's still God being generous, but it's being done through you. The illustration that Paul uses that's one of his favorites to talk about the church being the body of Christ. It says that Jesus is the head, which means that he's in charge. He leads, he guides, he directs. The body carries out the leading, the guiding, the directing. We do those things. So if you were to pull your phone out and you were to send a text message to your friend while I'm preaching, hey, where are we going to go eat lunch today? Right? I know that none of you are going to do that, right? You send a text message to your friend. You don't say, my fingers sent a text today. No, you don't say that. You say, I sent a text today. If you go home, if you exercise, you walk around your neighborhood for a couple miles. You don't say, my feet went for a walk today. You say, I went for a walk today. Yes, it's your feet that are doing it. It's your fingers that are doing it. But it's being all directed by you. You, it's the same thing with us as the body of Christ. You might be the one who's doing it, but you're not the one who gets the credit for it. He is, because you're acting as an agent of his body. Jesus is working through you. As the body of Christ, we have the opportunity to serve as little Christs around our world in different capacities, in different ways, in the various callings that we've been given. That's a funny word too, calling. The idea of what, it, what is it to be called? We like to really spiritualize that word. We like to make it very mystical, very challenging. You've got to figure out your calling in life. You've got to figure out what God has called me to do, right? There's actually a lot of people, I think particularly younger people, young adults, older teenagers, trying to figure out their lives, answer all the big questions, right? They've been prepared their entire life for the first 18 years, learning, growing, preparing for the big, the big wide world that's out there. And then all of a sudden, you're just flooded with a world full of decisions that you have to make. And you're worried, I'm gonna make the wrong choice. I'm gonna make the wrong choice. I'm gonna marry the wrong person. I'm gonna go to the wrong school. I'm gonna go into the wrong career. I'm gonna miss God's calling for my life. That's what that generally sounds like in Christian circles. So we particularly fear well, if I have a calling from the Lord, if he wants to work through me in this world, if he wants to continue to show people generosity through my works, what if I miss it? What if I do the wrong thing? Or maybe you're not young anymore, but you're like halfway through your life and you're wondering, man, I think I missed my calling. 
I think I missed something here. I missed the boat. Well, the good news for you and the good news for me is that it is hardly that over-spiritualized as we see it in the scriptures. The good news for us is that God actually works through you and he works through me in some very basic, simple, ordinary ways. We don't have to go on a spiritual quest to find our divine calling and live in fear that we've missed it. If you're afraid that that's the stage you're at, you don't know what you're supposed to do, or maybe you're already partway through your life, or maybe you're already through most of your life, and you're worried about this, I think you can find some encouraging words from Paul in 1 Corinthians seven seventeen. He says this, Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. The point that Paul's making in that passage is that you can serve God, you can serve others, you can reflect his generosity right where you are. Wherever it is you find yourself in the moment, whatever stage of life you find yourself in, however active you're able to be, whether you have a family or don't have a family, whether you work or you stay at home, whatever it is, you have opportunities where you are. And God has actually providentially placed you where you are in your life circumstances to be an agent of generosity, to work as the hands and the feet of Jesus, to communicate his generosity to the world around you. You don't have to be afraid that you've missed it. Now listen, I'm never gonna discourage anyone from searching for ways that they can be of use in God's kingdom, for ways that they can serve God's kingdom in ways that they aren't already. I'm not gonna discourage you from doing that, but we do need to be careful, as I've said already, that your calling is a special calling, unique to you, that no one else can do, that God wants you to do this thing and this one thing, and if you don't get it right, then you've ruined your life. That's not true. For the most part, you just need to look and see the circumstances that God has put you in, the family that God has given you, the place where you live, the church that you're a part of, and just look around and see where's the need? How can I be of use here? How can I be of service here? Look at where God has providentially placed you and fulfill those roles in such a way that it reflects God's generosity to others. Now listen, if, if, that's what, if that's what it is, then as I look around this room, and even the people who are here today, there are literally thousands of different applications of what that could look like in your life specifically because none of us have the same life situation. None of us have the same exact things going on. We don't have the same jobs. We don't have the same families. We don't have the same gifts. But... What I think we can do and what I think we would like to do for the rest of this series, as you can see today, that we're specifically most supposed to be talking about generosity in the family. What we can do is we, we can see, I think, at least three broad areas where it does not matter who you are in this room. It does not matter if you are four years old or if you are 40 years old or if you're 104 years old. You have callings that are given to you by God. Every single one of us has this in common. God has placed each and every one of us in a family. God has placed every single one of us in a church. And God has placed every single one of us in a society. 
We all have that in common. It doesn't matter what your age. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter where you went to school or if you went to school. It doesn't matter any of that. All of us have that in common. My specific task today was to talk about generosity in the family. If this is who we are, if we've received God's generosity and now he wants to continue to work through us to show generosity to the world around us, how do we do that in the family? How do I do that? It, the family is the most basic of all callings. It was the first human institution that God created when he brought Eve to Adam and he created the first family. All of us are part of a family. Every single person in this room is a child of someone, whether your parents are here or not. You're a child. Most of you are siblings. A good number of you are a spouse. Many of you are parents, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews. And a lot of you have the distinct blessing of being a grandparent to grandchildren. So this matters for all of us. The calling that we've received to be part of families. And all of these things are distinct callings that God has placed on your life. They're all going to look different because all of our family situations are different. But you are part of a family that God has put you into. And you have the opportunity to be the hands and the feet of Christ to show generosity to the rest of your family. Now, how do we do that? How does that work in the family? What are the opportunities that I have to be generous towards my family? We can probably just walk through, I think, maybe that's the easiest way to think about and walk through the different callings in the family. We, should, we could start with the one that we all have in common. We're all children of someone but I'm thinking specifically of younger children now living in your parents' home. There's a lot of you in here that still live with your parents. You're still children. You're still under 18 years old. You have many opportunities to show generosity towards your parents, towards your other siblings. I know, like, they're all, joke, they're all laughing right now, like, yeah, right. I don't know if I'm going to do that. You really do. Now, maybe not if you think that generosity is always about giving somebody things or giving someone money. Because let's face it, you don't have much of that, that's for sure. But if that's what you think generosity is, then no, you don't have an opportunity to be generous. But we're reminded that generosity is more about more than giving money to someone. It's giving of yourself to someone. It's offering yourself in service to other people. That's living generously as well. And if you think about generosity in that light and understanding, then actually you as a child have many opportunities through your life to show generosity to your parents. Their life is full of tasks. It's full of busyness and chores and things to do to make sure that your home is a good place for you to live. It is a generous thing of you to do to step up and to take something off of their plate, to serve them, to be kind of them, especially when they don't ask you to do that. Now, some of you might be saying, Scott, I already do that. They make sure I do that. There's a list of chores for me to do every single week at my house, and they make me do those things. Well, that's where we, as Christians especially, that's why we are able to understand that there is definitely a big difference between doing something because we have to and doing something because we want to. And that's the difference that generosity makes. Doing something because you have to is not generosity, but doing something because you want to. Doing something because you've been motivated and you realize and you see, even as a child, how much you've been given by God. The blessing of the parents that you do have 
as annoying as they are sometimes, of the blessing of the siblings that you have and how much you enjoy living your life with them. God has shown us generosity and so we have the opportunity to show that generosity to others with a willing spirit, a desire to do that. And parents, that's also a reminder to us the difference that it is doing something because you have to versus doing something because you want to. That's a reminder to us that uh, giving our kids rules and lists, while those things are necessary to teach children what is good and right, we know it can't create the heart that wants to do those things, can it? As structured as you want to make things, it can't change their heart. They might do it, but you, it won't make them willing to do it. That's where we have to remember and remind ourselves that it's not the rules that produce the correct heart, but it's God working in that heart. It's the Holy Spirit leading that heart and guiding that heart, changing that heart to where if the only thing that you're ever doing is giving them lists and giving them rules, but you're never actually praying for them, asking that God would work in them, telling them of Christ and what God has offered them in him, you shouldn't be surprised if there's not a generous heart there. So we think about what it means to be a child. We can also think about what it is to be a spouse. How, how do we have the opportunity to show God's generosity to our spouse? Well, a spouse, I mean, the whole point of and being together and what we do in our lives together is we are giving of ourselves in a covenant of love to one another each and every day, serving one another, caring for that other person, committing ourselves to this one person in a way that we've not committed ourselves to anyone else in our entire lives to be generous towards them to act as God's agents of generosity towards our spouse by saying, how can I serve you today? How can I encourage you today? How can I build you up today? How can I help you today? How can I please you today? That's the opportunity we have in our marriages, if you're married, to look at your spouse and to say that God has put me here with you to help you, to love you, to serve you, to do whatever it is. You might not have the same needs as this other spouse over here or this other couple over here, but you're my spouse. doesn't matter what I want. It matters what you need. How can I serve you? I don't know about you, but as I was preparing for this, reflecting on my own marriage, I can, I can reflect and, and recognize the fact that some of the hardest times in my own marriage where things have been tense, they've been hard, has also usually been the times when I have been the most selfish in that relationship. Where I'm not characterized by how can I love you? How can I serve you? How can I give of myself to you? But rather, I tend to be characterized by what can I get out of this? What can you do for me? How can I be supported by you? Or focusing on I'm not getting the support that I need, that I want from you. Those tend to be the times where there's the most arguing, the most tension, the least amount of closeness, and that kind of mindset of what can I get out of this? I mean, couples, you know, this can extend to every part of marriage, can't it? Every part. We have to remind ourselves that our generosity towards our spouse is not based on their generosity towards us because I'm also not naive. I know that there are many examples in here. I'm not thinking of anybody in specific, but this is just so common enough, I know, the hardest time to have the heart of generosity towards your spouse is when it feels very one-sided. 
When it feels like, yeah, I get it, Scott. I'm supposed to be generous. I see that. But I'm not getting generosity in return. Or my generosity is being taken advantage of. I'm not being supported or loved in the same way. And so what am I supposed to do here? I'm the only one doing this. I'm the only one putting work into this. That's why we started this series the way we did. Is because even your generosity towards your spouse is not a generosity that is based on a generosity you're getting from them. It's based on a generosity you've gotten from God. It's, it's the energy that you're getting. The motivation you're getting is coming from what he has given to you. And you're not trying to seek, again, what you're getting from them, but how can God use me in their life today? Because the reality is, what we've seen already in the series, is that God knows exactly what it feels like to have a one-sided generosity. He knows exactly what it feels like to show generosity towards creatures who are ungrateful, who are not thankful for what they've received, yet he continues to show it. He continues to give it. God knows exactly what that feels like. In 1 John 4.19, it does not say, we love because we are loved in return, does it? It doesn't say that. It says, we love because God first loved us. You could replace that word love with the word generosity, and it would still be true. I show generosity because I'm shown generosity in return? No. I show generosity because my God has first shown me generosity And now I want to show that to you, my spouse, the one I've covenanted myself with. We can think of that. So now we've covered children, spouses, but also we can think of what it is to be a parent. I know that not everybody in this room has has this experience of being a parent, but the vast majority of us do. As we continue to think about these callings that we have in the family and where we can show generosity, I honestly, I don't know, I couldn't think of one that I think where we are able to display the generosity of God towards others in our families in a way that's more than the way a parent does towards a child. In parenting, we clearly see that generosity is not merely a giving out of your abundance, but it is a kind of sacrificial giving, isn't it? You're giving out of your weakness. You're giving out of your lack. When you have nothing left in your tank, you continue to give Generosity always includes an element of sacrifice in it, always. As we think about raising children, we could, we could apply this to several different categories. You think of the financial sacrifice of what it is to raise a child, what you're giving up financially to do that, not only what it costs to, to actually have a child and to do the normal everyday things that it takes to just keep this child alive, As they continue to get older, you think about all the different things that it costs to keep them happy and to keep them entertained and how expensive that is. And sometimes you maybe think to yourself like, man, what could I do with all this money? What could I have done with everything that I've poured out onto them? You think about the financial, but you also think about the sacrifice of your time. Every new parent, I think, one of the biggest struggles that new parents have is they, they are able to look back just a couple of months ago and realize how much time you actually had before you had kids, how much time they take up. The priorities of your life change and they shift. And you, you know this. It's no longer geared on the things I want to do, the priorities I have, the hobbies I have, but now it's geared towards how can I give of myself generously to these little people that I have the blessing to care for, to love? How do I, how do, I do that now? You can think not only of financial 
time sacrifices, but particularly for mothers, the physical sacrifice that it is to care for children, the giving up literally of your own body to care for another and what it takes to do that, the emotional toll it takes to raise children. All of this, yes, given in joy, but is definitely a sacrifice. The sleepless nights, the tears, the worry, the anxiety that it comes with raising kids, all of it given not out of an abundance of emotional energy that you have, given out of sacrifice, wondering how much more can I take, how much more can I give? Don't worry, you can give more. There's, there's more to give. There's more you have to give. And God sustains you through it. Sadly, because of this sacrificial element of parenting that we see, this sacrificial giving element of parenting, it's becoming more and more popular, and you've probably seen this in our culture, to see children as a burden to be avoided. It's not uncommon today to hear a couple has decided to not have children or to significantly delay having children so that they can live their life without kids for a while. That's a very popular thing to say. Now, that's not to say that the Bible says you have to have children by a certain age or that you have to have a number of children Obviously, like that's not what the Bible says at all. But it is a sad day when we reach a place in our culture where we begin saying that children are a burden, what God has called a blessing. That's the sad day that we arrive at many times. And that mentality, I'm bringing this up because I think that mentality doesn't just creep into our families. It does creep into the church. When we begin seeing children within the family as a burden, we also begin seeing them as a burden within the church where we do the same things. We try to keep them away. It's tempting as a church to cater to a mindset that just wants to get rid of these kids. We know it's important to have them here. After all, we need a next generation to come after us, those that are gonna carry on the work after we're gone, those that are gonna continue the ministries that we've poured so much time and investment into. We know that there needs to be a next generation, so by all means, bring them here. But make sure they stay back there. Make sure that I don't hear them. Make sure I don't see them. Make sure I don't have to serve them. I don't want to invest in them. That happens. We wonder sometimes why when a child gets to their 20s, all of a sudden they disappear. We don't see them anymore. Well, if they spent their entire time at church being told, go away. Go away. You're not welcome here. Go this place. Go away. Wait until you're older. Eventually, they actually start to listen to you, and they go away. To be a church willing to welcome in the children, it's very impressive to see something like what you saw this morning, isn't it? It's encouraging to see children, and I don't know if you could hear them. I was standing right there, so I could hear them. They were singing at the top of their lungs. They did awesome, didn't they? They did a good job. So it's encouraging as a church to see something like that. But do you want to know what that takes? It takes investment. It takes investing in those kids' lives. It takes parents working with their kids, showing God's generosity and communicating to them the gospel, sitting down with them, working with them, giving of their time and of their resources to do that things. It takes investment from other people in the church to teach them those songs, to teach them those catechism questions, to work with them on those memory verses. It takes investment. It takes time. 
It's an investment that we as believers who have received God's generosity are, gl- are glad to give in return, to see in return. It's helpful to remind ourselves that God's generosity towards us is a sacrificial generosity. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says that we are looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. God did not send Jesus to the earth to die out of an obligation to do so. I guess I have to. Jesus did not go to the cross kicking and screaming, angry at the Father that he's making him do this like a child that's being punished. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The generosity of God is shown most clearly to us in the sacrifice of his son Jesus on our behalf. And we get to witness the sacrificial generosity of God. God knows what it is to sacrifice. God knows what it is to give of his only son. And we can remember that as we give sacrificially. The last uh, grouping, I guess you could say, that I, I do want to make sure we devote some time to this morning to think about. This will be the last one. Because it's, it's very related to the way we can tend to think about children. That's one end of our lives. But now as we look to the opposite end of our lives, when we're older, when we're not able to do as much, when we're not able to get out as much, when we don't feel as useful, much the same way as we like to put the children away, until they're a little bit more tolerable, it is becoming more and more common in our society to want to keep those who are around us that are aging, that are getting older, we want to keep them around at least until they just become too much of a burden or until they start to become too cranky and don't want people to help them. We don't want to help them. Again, all of us in this room are children. There's no doubt that in in the commandment to honor thy father and mother, that includes an element in it that children are to care for their parents when they age. There's a great reversal in life where at one point when you're a child, everything is being given to you. You can do nothing on your own. You need help from people. And then when we get older, it's the same way again. And we need help. Children are called. It is our calling as children to care for our parents, to serve them to have the opportunity to show them the generosity to them that they once showed to us and gave to us. And we have that opportunity. But maybe, I know, again, every family is complicated, difficult. Maybe you did not have parents that showed you that generosity, that kindness, that love, that care that parents are called to show you. And so the idea of trying to show the same generosity towards them that you should have received from them sounds impossible. Nothing farther from what I could do or would want to do. How am I supposed to think about that? Every one of us who has received the generosity of Christ, the generosity of God, every one of us who now follows Jesus At one time, we hated him, and we wanted nothing to do with him. We did not want that generosity. His mercy 
was not shown to those who were innocent and ignorant. No, his mercy was shown to those who were rebellious, who were hateful. Despite being enemies of God, he sent his son to die for us that we might be welcomed into his family. He showed generosity and kindness to those who did not deserve it, who did not even want it. No one deserves the generosity of God, but it has been offered nonetheless. So the idea that comes to us of showing generosity to someone who's never shown me generosity, who did not care for me in in the way that they were supposed to, how on earth am I supposed to do that? Well, how on earth did God do it for you? Because that's what you've been given. That's the kind of generosity you've been shown by God. You did nothing to earn it, but he gave it to you nonetheless. The family is one of the best places that we can see God's generosity, not only through the opportunities that we have to show generosity to our family members, but also a place where we have the opportunity to receive generosity from our family members. We receive generosity from our own family members. No one in this world knows your faults and failures more than your own family. They know it. They know exactly what's wrong with you. They know exactly the mistakes that you've made. They know your little pressure points. They know the problems that you've had. They know the failures and the blunders. They know it all. You can't hide it from the people who know you the best. But they continue to love you. They continue to forgive you. They continue to care for you. They continue to show you the generosity. And it's an opportunity for you in that moment to be reminded Even if it's not a spiritual reason going on, you continue to be reminded that God is showing you his generosity through the agents that he's placed in your life of generosity through the family. I hope that you're encouraged by that this morning. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thankful for the good gifts that you have showered upon us, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the generosity that you have shown us in creation. We thank you for the generosity that you have shown us just in the simple fact that we have parents. That we have those who are willing to sacrifice of themselves, to give, to invest in us. Despite all the trouble we gave them, despite all the difficulty that came up, despite the other challenges and of the world of working a job, taking care of homes, yet still they find time to care for us, to build us up, to prepare us for life so that we might go and live a life that's glorifying to you. We thank you for that gift. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you would use us in people's lives, that we would actually be your hands and feet working in this world to continue to show generosity to those around us. Lord, we all have opportunities to do that, but Father, I pray that specifically as as those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, that we would be able to especially show generosity in a way that the world is not able to show generosity. Lord, would you help us to love those in our families, to serve those in our families who do not show us the same love and generosity back. Lord, would you help us to sacrificially give of ourselves within our families 
in ways that are not out of our abundance of time or money or emotional energy or physical ability, but in ways that lay ourselves down for the sake of others, modeled after what our Savior Christ has done. Lord, would you help us to show generosity and kindness towards those who have definitely not earned it, reminded of the fact that we have not earned any of the generosity that you have shown us. Lord, I pray that as we leave today, we wouldn't be thinking about what we now have to do because we have to. Lord, help us to see this is something we get to do. We get to be used by you. We get to work in this world. We get to live lives balanced with the gospel that we've received. Lord, help our hearts to find joy in doing that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.